We're almost at the end of the season, as today we bring you the ninth and final episode of TopCast Season 2. Today we're taking a walk down memory lane and looking at a historical perspective on service management, focusing primarily on the people aspect of technology. Let's get into it. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode. Today, we've got a really interesting guest for you. Walter Schmidt, CEO and co-founder of TopDesk, has joined us today. So first off, welcome, Walter. Generally, I like to kick things off by giving you some time to share a brief introduction with our listeners. Maybe tell us a little something uh, that has kept you motivated throughout the last year. So floor is yours. Thank you. Well, great to be here, Braden. It's uh, quite a nice initiative that uh, you guys have, uh, have took. Yeah, so I'm the CEO of uh, TopDesk, a company I uh, co-founded uh, quite some, uh, some time ago. Yeah, and what, what kept me motivated uh, this year, it, it has been a pandemic year, which is weird, of course, sitting uh, at home a lot. I, I liken to call it a, a monastery cell that you're, that you're at. I think what uh, kept me uh, uh, going was of course my family at home that that helps and uh, I learned that taking a walk call it a commute if you will in the morning and at the end of the working day really did help me to kind of separate my work day from my private life day and it keeps well it's, it's a nice way to to clear your mind I guess oh and by the way it helps your body to uh, <laughs> it takes still a long time and just walking around a bit it, it does help. I, I must admit, I now know every corner of my neighborhood right now. That's that's the boring part of it, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, I can absolutely say the same, to be honest. That I actually recently got a puppy a few months ago, so that's been really upping my walking game, but very similar. Yeah. Like I, I started running over the last like year and a bit, so just the the cap of like either doing it in the morning or at the end of the day is always good to separate things, so I can totally relate to you there. Um, <laughs> I figure because we generally have a, a shorter episode, I like to jump right into our topics. So as far as experience goes in this company, there's there's not a lot of people, if any, with the same number of years that you have here. So with that being said, for our topic today, I was hoping we could chat a bit more about the sort of evolution of service management and the evolution of your experience with, with TopDesk as well. So uh, first things first, I'd like to get things started. Um, with this question. So how did you really get started in this industry and what was a key motivator for you to make a difference in the service management space? Yeah, I, actually, I must admit, I, I kind of stumbled into the industry, right? I, I never, as a kid, when I was a, a young boy in school, uh, envisioned myself, uh, you know what, when I grow up, I want to be in the field of service management. Uh, most kids would say they want to be a, a, a fireman or a police agent or something like that. So, um, yeah, what basically happened is that I, I was like an 18, 19-year-old student, and I, I saw this poster, this advert, hanging around at campus that says, basically said something like, hey, if, if you are a nerd and in need of money, uh, we might have a job for you. And well, I ticked both boxes, to be honest, so I guess I applied. And it just so happened that I had quite some experience as a kid in, in programming. I, I love to hack away computers. I still have fond memories of the Commodore 64 and what you could do with it. So um, when uh, the company that put up that post or advert uh, saw that I had quite some experience in it, and I actually won a programming contest once, they, uh, well, they hired me quickly. 
And uh, what they noticed, uh, this, this little company had a business in uh, recruiting uh, people for support staff functions. And they primarily did this within the student community because at that point in time, we're talking early 90s here, uh, technical students were, well, they, they could, they knew how to work with computers and they could be in a, uh, in a company the next day if, if that was necessary. So they, they made a business out of that. But that my fellow co-founder uh, noticed that at a help desk where he was working, it was quite chaotic, right? There was a kind of a sticky note business going around. And I, he figured this, this can be done more professional, right? Why, why don't we log these things and, and that you keep track on who's doing what and when it's finished. But the problem was, although we had some experience in, in programming, we didn't have enough. And that's basically why I came in, right? So uh, yeah, we, we partnered up and we started building this first ticketing software thing. Uh, it was actually a DOS version for uh, those listeners that are old enough, trying to solve that specific problem, right? So if, if there's chaos in a support department, which in the old days was, was quite, uh, uh, happening quite a lot. What, what can we do with a piece of software to to solve that? And, and that's basically how it all started. Um, so the honest answer is I stumbled into it. I, I never followed it when I was a kid. But when we were in the topic, yeah, we actually quite liked it because it's quite nice to make sure that people within the support departments uh, yeah, organize themselves more professionally and uh, yeah, have a better working day uh, uh, as a result. Yeah, definitely. I think that's that's pretty cool as well. Like you're able to basically, you know, stumble into in this case, stumble into a, a chaotic problem that all these service de departments are having, and and you're able to basically present them with a nice, helpful solution that's obviously evolved over the years. So that's that's really cool. Um, obviously, there's all the positive things that have gone on since the company started as well, but I'm sure. There's also challenges and things like that too that came along the way. So, what were some of the challenges or hurdles that you faced early on in your career building Top Desk? Yeah, of course, I have my fair share of challenges or things that we stumbled into, and I've got the scar tissue to prove it as well, and myriad of things I I, I can talk about. But but let's pick one example. So, when we started, this field was actually quite new. So, a lot of uh, our, our customers didn't realize they needed something, right? If, if you're doing a sticky note kind of organized thing and it works for you, yeah, why, why have something? So in the early days, we really had to educate uh, quite a lot of customers in why this was a good thing. Why would you buy a piece of software to better organize the things that you're doing? Why not use uh, a spreadsheet to keep track of things or, or maybe some email uh, uh, stuff? Of course, there there's other things as well, uh, technical issues that we, of course, ran into. And I rem remember one vividly that was a, um, uh, a Windows 3.11 version that we had at that time. And at one point in time, uh, we well, started to get some complaints from a customer that said, well, one of your drop-down boxes isn't working anymore. If, if, I, if I use to select something, the system kind of crashes. I think that's weird. It's a drop-down box. That's not supposed to happen. It's only one customer, and we, we couldn't reproduce it either. And then, well, a couple of weeks later, another customer, uh, well, basically made the same uh, thing that, that again, uh, a drop down box didn't work anymore. And then one more, and one more, and one more. And it took us some while to, to figure out that the, the system that we used to build our solution on 
couldn't deal with faster computers that were getting on the market. So for some reason, there was a, a, a bug in this, this underlying system that we used that started to fail if the drop-down box was large and your computer was uh, of a certain processor speed. And we figured that this, this is quite a problem because, well, we can't chase the system. We have to reprogram all of it and computers will keep getting faster. Of course, luckily, we had quite a few hacking geniuses uh, around, and we still have, uh, and we figured a workaround, but it took quite some blood, sweat, and tears to, to take that technical hurdle and, and, well, solve that issue that we had. But these are just two, right? It's, uh, the, again, I, I can talk for hours on this topic, <laughs> war stories, if you would put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely that's that's awesome first of all but I and I definitely want to touch into those uh, or tap into those uh sort of technological advances and things like that that you guys faced you know as the company grew too um but before we do that I have a quick question um I recently actually read a, a LinkedIn post you shared sh shedding some light for you know, younger folks to take uh, chances themselves so what's one key piece of advice that you have for someone looking to make an impact in service management or any industry for that matter Actually, quite nice that you saw that LinkedIn post. Um, yeah, well, what I noticed is back in the day, and I'm really feeling an old uh, person over here right now, is that, that there wasn't really a, a startup scene, if you will. So, uh, uh, yeah, honestly, my parents-in-law weren't quite happy that I started this company because, well, you wouldn't get a pension and you weren't with a big corporate that gave you safety and security in, in your job position. Why, why would you want to start a company, basically? There wasn't also money on the market to start it. So we really uh, did it on a shoestring budget, basically. Uh, it was fun. I'm, I'm quite happy that we did it because, yeah, if, if I look where we're now, I, I did gain quite some freedom and I had well, quite some fun along the way. Luckily, nowadays, if you want to start a new company, people understand that way better. Like that. I'm guessing it's actually more popular to start your own company than, than join a, a bigger enterprise organization. And there's way more infrastructure around now to, to pitch your ID and maybe get some initial funding and, and start doing it. And yeah, I, I guess that's a good thing. So, so actually the recommendation that I, I had in my LinkedIn post was, well, if you have an ID and you, you really are keen on, on on doing something quite actively, yeah, why why not start your own business? It, it can be very rewarding from a personal uh, point of view. Then again, I also want to emphasize, um, this is not for the faint of heart, to be honest. You'll get a lot of setbacks and you'll get the scar tissue that I, I talked about. If, if you're kind of um, afraid of that, uh, yeah, maybe you shouldn't do it. And there's also very much to be found in just having a, a proper nice job with cool colleagues in a company. Uh, so if you want to do it and you feel up to it, by all means do. If you don't, um, nothing's lost there either. That's, uh, either way, do, do what your passion tells you to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a that's a great perspective on it too, because like there's like you say, there's definitely people who are willing to be battle tested when it comes to you know the, the trials and tribulations uh, with starting a company, and then there's also you know folks who need to make these kind of companies run and 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 succeed, right? So that's yeah, that's a great perspective, I think. Um, over the course of your career, you've pretty much seen the world of service management just change rapidly. So. What are some of the most staggering leaps or trends that you've witnessed, um, you know, since the beginning in this case? 
Yeah, that's actually a very interesting question, right? So, yeah, we, we've seen things change, but if you look at it from, from a bigger distance, there's not that much change either, but, but let me try to explain that a bit. So, as I said previously, when we started, what we basically try to do is solve the problem that we saw that within uh, IT departments or service departments, and it could be quite chaotic. Again, this, this sticky note um, uh, thing that was going around. And you try to solve that. And that, yeah, what you basically try to do is, okay, sticky note, that's that's a request that came in and you should log that so you know who made the request and when, and if you already finished it so that nothing's get lost basically. Now at some point of time, I, I, I did remember that uh, customers that we were into discuss our product started asking, um, are you ITIL compliant? And we looked at each other, ITIL compliant, what, what was that anyway? And, and just like with this uh, uh, computers getting faster bug example, more and more customers started asking. So at some point in time, you, well, we really started to investigate what is this ITIL anyway? And then we found out that it's basically a methodology that tries to organize this process a bit better. And the nice thing about it, it's, well, the, the uh, first idle version was not exactly rocket science, right? It, it basically tries to say, okay, if something comes in, uh, log it and, and try to process it as best you can. And if you have uh, many of those requests coming in, maybe you see a bigger trend there. If there's a lot of questions or requests coming in on a specific topic, maybe you can do something to prevent those questions or requests from happening. Well, makes total sense, of course. But then you make a change in your setup, in your infrastructure, and you want to do that a bit professional as well. So take note of that as well and make some formal process that it gets approved. And if you change it, then something in your infrastructure changes and that's what you want to keep track on as well. And the good thing is, if you do a change, typically that leads to new requests because something is new and then, well, you got this full circle. As said, it's it's not rocket science, it, it makes sense. And the good thing about a methodology like ITIL is that it gives you a, a common vocabulary. And it's quite nice if you, for example, change jobs that you can still use the same words and everybody understands what it means basically. But here's the thing. It, it was quite successful, ITIL. And then, of course, uh, smart people started to work on it and started to improve it and improve it further. And by the time we got to ITIL 3.0, yeah, our feeling was that it was a bit overdone, to be honest. Way too many processes, way too detailed descriptions. And this, it's not rocket science kind of feeling was kind of going away. And uh, I know one of my uh, 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 colleagues, uh, yeah, made a kind of jokingly, a, a joke about it on, on a stage somewhere in a presentation that he did, uh, liken it to like a, a razor blade, right? So so the Jeanette razor blade, well, in the early days, it was just one blade and then at some point it became two and it was a big thing, of course, great invention. And then we had three, but here this picture where there were 12 blades uh, on and everybody all kind of understood, well, more blades, at some point it's not better, right? It's, it doesn't make sense anymore. And same goes for idle. You can invent more and more processes, but at some point nobody understands it anymore. And I think that that happened with idle as well. And then a new kid on the block arrived, which was basically agile, which was all of the new hipster, kind of that you could finally wear a beard and drink a latte in a bar somewhere because agile, because flexible, because new, modern. And then all of a sudden we all had to do Agile. But then at some point you realize, yeah, it's all nice and well, but Agile is not really suited for 
a hardcore service environment. And that's, that's by definition because uh, Agile is best in uh, uncertain situations where you have to do quite some innovative work and you don't want to do a waterfall methodology. If it's in support, you have to fix it now because that's what your SLA tells you basically to do. There will be a connection somewhere, so you, you, you'll have a hybrid uh, somewhere. I, I think the point I'm trying to make here is that we're, we're slowly circling back to the old days again, that we realize that this is not rocket science, what we're doing here. There's things coming in, you need to log it, you need to do something about it, and you make that, gonna make that as easy as possible for both the user and the agent doing that. And you want to keep track of that process. But but fitting it in this 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 idle 3.0 or 4.0, yeah, we 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 missed the point there basically. We overshoot, if if you will. And that we're now back into the core concepts again. I, I tend to think that's a good thing. That's a great answer for sure. And I th I think like Oh, like a lot of things in life, the whole circling back aspect of it is very, very true. So it always basically will come back down to the basics or the foundation of what the problem is you're trying to solve. So yeah, that answer is pretty much spot on, I think. So I think it'll be interesting just to see over the next few years, especially how the hybrid situation works out, right? So Absolutely. Um, super, yeah. super, super cool. Um, another question sort of based on what we just talked about there. Um, Obviously, with each advancement of, you know, with the advancement of technology and the advancement through these different sort of phases, we'll call it in, in our uh, timeline here, how did you ensure that TopDesk was able to basically keep pace or push beyond the advances that came along with that timeline? Yeah, so um, the, the very simple answer, of course, you got to very much keep in touch with your, with your customers, with your clients and, and see what they're doing and what they're dealing with. And what I tend to see a lot is there's there's always hypes in the market, right? There's also always a new fad that comes along and that will solve all problems in the world for free, basically. But looking back a few years later, it typically doesn't. Um, and what I tend to see is that it typically boils down to a few things. Firstly, people, especially in the technical field, seem to underestimate the impact that people have, right? So if people don't understand how things work or if it's finicky, if it doesn't always do what you expect, then they'll, they'll just drop it quickly. So my experience, uh, you should try to make things as easy and understandable for the people involved. And that is both for the user that you're servicing, but don't underestimate the power that an agent or an operator has that, that delivers the service. Again, if things are too complicated, they, they, they won't be loving what they're doing. And that's what you notice in the end. And you can throw lots of technology at it. But in the end, it is a service process, right? We, we are in the service industry trying to help other people with the stuff that they do. So, uh, we did see some advances, right? So, uh, for example, uh, we, we have gotten way better at uh, enabling our users to self-service themselves, to, to find knowledge, for example. And it, it's not necessarily very technological. And, and, and please mind you, I'm, I'm, I'm a big nerd here. I, I love technology. Um, but, but you should really, really make it so simple for people to, to understand and to use, and only then will you reap some efforts in it. Especially in the, in the type of organizations that, that we excel at, which are the not that large organizations. You should have a fair size, but you're not hundreds of thousands of, of employees. Um, 
the, the volume of, of uh, requests that comes into you and the breadth of knowledge that a typical support agent has to have is, is so, so large that it's very hard to, to throw technology at it to get it better. You, you, you better work on making sure those people are engaged, are happy, like their job and feel empowered to do things that will improve your, your service delivery and the happiness of your uh, customers in the end way more than, than yeah, just just a new fad, uh, to be honest. I, I might sound a bit bit old-fashioned here, but I've worked around in the industry for long enough to, to to see this happen again and again. And so, to bring, I guess, some of the, some of the points you just made into present day, um, as far as challenges go, obviously there's always challenges that happen, and service management uh, or you know any company for that matter. Um, but especially over the last year and a bit, we've seen some pretty drastic changes worldwide. So for you, where does the last year rank on the most difficult obstacles list in terms of like leading top desk through it and also making sure that our customers were feeling supported as well? Yeah, so I, I, I guess you're really referring to the, to the pandemic here and, and the situation that all of a sudden, uh, yeah, a lot of people had to work from home. I, I must admit that I was quite amazed how easy it was for us as a company to suddenly start working at home and it, 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 it was done in a couple of days and I, I guess we were kind of lucky that we already had some uh, infrastructure in place so for example uh, we already transitioned from an, uh, uh, an old school telephony exchange to a, a newer system that was based on, on, on computers. And it's not that we had brilliant planning in mind, it's just that our old exchange uh, was getting outdated and out of capacity, and we either had to invest in a completely new one or go to this new modern way of doing. But that did help us a lot. Uh, we also already had, that was by design, uh, by the way, a lot of our internal applications uh, accessible through the web or other means so again, working from home was, was easy. Still, people had to adapt massively, of course. How do you keep in touch with people? How do you see if they are happy and engaged? How, how do you onboard new employees? If, if you're so used to train them just by sitting alongside of them and all of a sudden that doesn't work anymore, how actually do you do that? I, I was amazed in how uh, easy it went for us, but maybe I'm lucky because we, we tend to trust our employees and we tend to give them quite some freedom and they're used to deal with that. So the, the change with uh, working in an office or at home wasn't that big. We did see a lot of our customers uh, yeah, really had to scramble to get things going. And the results were, well, quite different, I guess. And again, it, it also depends quite strongly on uh, what kind of company culture you uh, you would have. Yeah. What it did bring, I guess, is that for a lot of people, uh, we, we, we really learned how to reinvent things we do. So, for example, in, in my home country, we would really go to clients a lot to, to help them out. So, present our product to them, or if you would do an implementation, yeah, we would have folks going to the customer uh, on site day after day just to help them uh, get things going. But you couldn't do that in a pandemic, and it turned out that it was actually quite easy to do it remotely as well. What's saying is fun because, well, if you like doing invitations, you typically like the human part of it and the interaction and being at the customers. But it works. So 
well, we, we could save some travel costs and more importantly, environments here uh, just by doing things remotely. So I, I'm not all that negative of what happened. It, it forced us to rethink and reimagine how we do things. And I think we'll, we'll actually take some good bits around it as well. I also do tend to think that uh, working completely from home, that's going to be too boring, I guess. I'm not sure about you, uh, Brayden, Brayden, but I really yeah. like the corporate environment a bit that you can have a chat with your colleagues and stuff and, and gossip a bit about the weekend that you had and just do social things a bit. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, yeah. I think I totally agree. Like. The most important thing that I took away from the lot well, still going on, but the most important thing that I've taken away so far is just the the need of, you know, people and the organization that you're working for to be adaptable. Like you said, for, for us, like working with TopDesk, it wasn't uh, all that challenging to just make the switch and, you know, work from home for however long we needed to. But I totally agree with you in saying, like, you know, missing that corporate environment or corporate environment, but like just the office environment, we'll call it <laughs> because yeah. like you need, you need that human interaction in the day for sure. And, uh, and yeah, that's definitely something that I miss and I'm looking forward to getting back to for sure. So light at the end of the tunnel is, is always the case. So that's basically my yeah, maybe interesting thought as well. What, what I tend to notice is that the, the ordinary things go on pretty well, but for example, creative things. So if you really have to, figure out something new with a group of people I, again it can be done remotely but it's it's just so way more better if you're in a, in a single room and can uh, well uh, crack some jokes about it because that that, that sparkles that creativity basically uh, and we we may do for this year fine but i, I think we'll sorely miss that if, if we don't have that again yeah I, yeah, I definitely agree with you. Just fun fact, Topcast was actually created remotely. So that's that's one of the only cre creative things that I've been able to come up with. So that's pretty cool. Uh, all right, so jumping back. So that's back a counterexample, nice. <laughs> there you go. So uh, jumping back into our conversation, uh, one of the big questions, I guess, that I had for you as well, or more fully loaded questions is with the industrial revolution, obviously, we noticed uh, people finding new ways to add value to their organizations, um, but also new ways of adding uh, value with when machines were first coming into play as well. So um, now with the shift to AI and automation, people are once again, you know, more, more afraid, I would say, of being replaced by machines or AI. So what is, uh, what is your perspective on that? I'm I'm quite optimistic here, to be honest. And again, I, I must stress here that that I'm a techie. And um, yeah, just, just as a matter of an anecdote, I um, uh, we, there was this public discussion over here uh, regarding yeah, doesn't AI replace jobs, and uh, should we really invest in it? But it, it just so happened when I heard the discussion that I was looking outside my window, and there was this. Uh, yeah, a couple of people that were, I think, laying some 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 wires under the ground or something, and they used this 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 hoe to to get that done, which was a machine, of course. And, uh, and, and I kept on thinking, yeah, but if you are against machines, you you should not have those machines either, right? Digging machines because, yeah, they also replace people. But I guess nobody wants back to the days that we just manually dig holes for houses and whatever because it's a bad for your body and b very boring whoever wants to do that you you i think people would much rather sit in the machine to do that but we're getting we got so used to that that that's what a machine can do and it's very powerful and that's what you want 
it's not that the work has disappeared for people, right? It's just that you're way more effective at doing in doing that work, and you can get more out of it with the same amount of people. That's basically what happened. And so my stance on it, you, you might think that you replace people, and you do, but those people will start doing other things probably with machines as well. So we, we get more in return for the work that they're doing. And typically they can do it in a way that's that's either less bad for their body or in our industry, less bad for your brains. So all the, shall I call it, boring and repetitive tasks, uh, yeah, you probably uh, machines or AI or whatever, at some point in time can replace that. I tend to think that's a good thing because yeah, as far as I'm concerned, most people don't like the boring repetitive stuff. They like the more interesting stuff. And well, you can spend more time on that. And guess what? There will be more demand for uh, yeah, uh, the, the non-repetitive stuff. So generally speaking, I'm, I'm not really afraid of it. I said in, in the, the previous question that you had, I, I'm not, I, I don't think that uh, this new technology can replace everything. Like, again, it, it's the combination. I once heard a presenter uh, made uh, an image and something like, yeah, AI is like the suit that the Man of Steel has, right? It's, it, it adds to his capabilities, but it doesn't replace the person itself. It, it doesn't. It just makes the person more powerful to do things. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm a strong believer in, in, in that image given the right technology and of course we have to figure out how to make best use of it and again in the in the early days it's always oversold that it will solve everything for you and you don't have to do anything anymore and it's for free it never is but we will find use cases where we can really add the technology to our daily work and that it will make it better both for the ones that we serve and for the people doing it but it takes some intelligence and effort to figure that out basically yeah yeah i totally agree i think they'll just work like you say in tandem or or, or uh, together in some fashion but um the biggest thing is like the like you say the boring or boring or monotonous parts of your job is what that ai and automation can help with and then as like people we're, we are able to adapt and our jobs or our roles will change and we'll be able to focus on those creative things like you say so totally agree don't forget uh, that humans are amazing that's that's i think what we uh, should all realize yeah yeah absolutely um, all right, last question about the pandemic, I swear. When we inevitably move past this thing or this point in time, what impacts do you believe um, this is gonna have on the service management industry and, and, and you know, things that we'll need to adapt to? Yeah, I, I, um, I, what I think will happen is uh, it's, it's what what is called the, the consumerization of IT. And what I mean with that is Nowadays, uh, in our lives as as just just a private person, right? There's so much in the service delivery, like with the likes of Amazon, for example, that is at such a high level that you will expect the same service delivery within your organization as well. So, so I'll give you one one example, and I, I was amazed myself by it. Um, I, I remember ten. 20 years ago, uh, we were in need of a new washing machine. So in those days, what you would do is you would go to some kind of 
washing machine shop and you walked around and uh, a sales rep would uh, welcome you, of course, with a nice smile and would point you out what the best washing machine was and then you would order it. But to my disappointment, slight, I must admit, yeah, when you bought one, it would be delivered on your doorstep like three weeks later because it had to come from the factory, I don't know. Which basically is not what you want because you typically start buying a washing machine because your old one is broken and being three weeks out of a washing machine is not okay. Now, in my country, you've got this uh, uh, company which prides themselves in very good service delivery. And when we were in need of a new washing machine recently, I uh, went on a website to pick one and Luckily for me, I already knew what which brand I wanted and which model, which was basically the cheapest of the brand because it's a good brand and they were good. And I did that 11 o'clock in the evening. But I had the thing delivered and installed at my doorstep 10 o'clock next morning. And by the way, they took the old machine with them as well, including all packaging material and so forth. And so, forth. so basically I ordered at 11 o'clock uh, in the evening. And, and the next morning I was, up and running with my new washing machine. I found that quite amazing and it's what you want, right? So if you realize, oh darn, my washing machine is broken. I have one new the next day, it's, it's there. I'm not sure how they do that logistically. It must be a major operation to get that going, but it works. But this is the kind of service delivery that I'm gonna expect in my own organization as well, right? So people should try to ask themselves if, if this, this is what consumers uh, are used to. When someone wants a new laptop or a new thingy, they do that in, in, in your company and they order it, will they have it the same day or the next day or, or doesn't work that way? And what kind of image do you have if, if you don't get it right? Or another example, suppose a new employee joins your company. Will they have everything on the first day? So like an, an access card, uh, a network access, a laptop, maybe a company car, a cell phone, or whatever you need to do your job? Or will you get that in bits and pieces in, in the remaining weeks that you start there? And suppose it's the latter. Yeah, what kind of image do you leave with that new employee? I, I guess it's not really good, is it? So you really want to organize yourselves that this is being done very professional and very friendly for the ones you're servicing. And I, I tend to think that people should really take a close look at that, yeah, another hip word, customer journey. How does it work for them? And is it up to par to what they're used to in, in a consumer life? Yeah, I I definitely uh, I definitely can't believe the washing machine story. Still, I think that's super cool. You ordered at eleven o'clock at night, and it was installed, and the other one was gone at ten o'clock in the morning the next day. Especially that's, the letter, right? That it's gone. Yeah, that's what you yeah, want. That's, yeah, that's crazy. I think the last time it would have been my parents' washing machine, but the last time we had one of those replaced, like I think it sat on the side of the, or the old one sat on the side of the road to be picked up by like the garbage the garbage guys or whatever at. Uh, for like a week at least. So that, that's crazy to me. So unreal. Thanks again for uh, tuning into our final episode of this season. And a huge thanks to you, Walter, for joining us today. If you'd like to stay up to date on all things TopCast, don't forget to sign up to our email updates at page.topdesk.com forward slash TopCast. Don't worry, we'll, we'll have more seasons on the way and we have some exciting things planned to expand our audience. But for now, it was fun sharing this content with you. We hope you enjoyed the content over the last few months. And as always, stay safe, stay tuned, and most importantly, stay excellent. Take it easy, everybody.